Welcome. Uh, we just watched uh, Eyes Wide Shut, the first selection in the Stanley Kubrick round um, of these films on the walkthrough. We'll be watching Eyes Wide Shut, Clockwork Orange, um, Doctor Strange Love, and 2001 A Space Odyssey over the coming weeks. This was Stanley Kubrick's last film, um, probably one of his um, more controversial films, I think, with the with the uh, the main leads in it, um, Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman. It I, it had a bit of a, and I think we'll go into it in more detail. But I think it had a bit of a a cold reception um, upon its release, and 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 sort of had this air of throughout sort of the early two thousands that um, it was a bit of a flop or. Um, certainly not at the level of some of the other of Stanley's films. Um, however, I think it's certainly started to grow more of a cult following since then. I think people recognise the film for what it is, and I, I will talk about it um, shortly. But I guess we'll just start by going around the room. So, um, Danny, what were your what were your initial thoughts? So I don't, I don't know a lot about this movie. Um, didn't, didn't know much coming into it other than Stanley Kubrick in his last movie. And um, haven't done any of the research. I'll be really interested to hear what the resident experts have to say in today's pod. Um, but obviously, I have now seen the movie, uh, enjoyed it. It was good. Um, two things about it that stand out that stand out of all Kubrick movies that I really enjoy and why his movies are so good. Firstly, the the scenes you just get because they're all quite long. You get a lot of depth. You build a lot of tension. And even the dialogue-heavy scenes, you just get real deep into the characters, um, which you don't get in many movies. And obviously Kubrick, because he was kind of a, you know, a bit of an expert and a bit of a sort of got more leash than others did because he was quite old school, he was able to get away with that. But he could get away with it even in 1999, although maybe Stephen will weigh in about whether he got away with it. But um, it was certainly, I enjoy those scenes in movies because they're so unique and they you, you like you, it gives you a lot of time to think and really think about what the characters what's happening and and all that the second thing was just the the kind of ordinary and the extraordinary that he is in all these movies where particularly the last scene you you know you juxtapose he's at the, the night before he's at one of the most seriously insane settings in the world um, and then the next day he's Christmas shopping with his wife and daughter and they're kind of talking about it, those sorts of things. It's, I want to say it's subtle. I, I think it is. I think you'd make the argument that it's subtle. And, um, and you, you kind of think about it. It's not like a loud explosion in your face, but it's just like a look kind of how far we've come, but in a very short period. Yeah, uh, that's, I think that's probably the third or fourth time I've seen that. I most recently watched it with Lydia and Lydia was just total shock after the film and still brings it up now as um, I've been trying to introduce her to some good films. Um, but that one was real, one that stood out for her in terms of she'd just never seen a film like that, was very impressed with the cinematography, with the acting. Has and she seen much Kubrick or any Kubrick? Yes, yeah, so I'd shown her The Shining. That was the other one oh, that, yeah, that we had watched. Yeah. And I think she found that a bit slow and a bit boring and um, I think like the peaks she enjoyed, but this film she enjoyed throughout but was just quite shocked by it. And I think the shock value of the film, the first time you watch it, um, which obviously for Connor and Dan, uh, you would have got it just then. It's just the kind of, it, the film really spirals out of control and you just, you're, you're on the edge of your seat of what's gonna happen next. Um, I think the scene when he actually goes to the house uh, where the the sex orgy is happening, um, you're just constantly like, what is happening? Every door that he goes through, what like what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So that's one of the most intense scenes of the film. Overall, um, it's one of my favourite Kubrick films. I think, you know, it's it's an example of Kubrick getting the best out of the leads. I think Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman are both fantastic in that film. Um, he he's really good at getting the best out of his lead actors. I think the cinematography is brilliant. Um, the backdrop of the Christmas setting, which I'm sure we'll get into, the lighting that he uses is just unreal. And 
really adds to the suspense of the film. And, you know, besides perhaps a bit of a long running time, uh, there's not much in that film that I would find fault with. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, this is probably like my favourite Kubrick film that I've seen to date. So like, we'll, give, we'll give the ones I haven't a chance for. But, um, and it's up there for like one of the, my favourite films across the board. Um, I agree with everything Stefan just said in, like, in the cinematography and the setting, the atmosphere that Kubrick creates and the, yeah, those two lead performances and getting like Kubrick gets the most out of them individually and then also out of the relationship they had at the time as well and really like yeah, really informs a lot of the scenes between them and it gives the movie a lot more depth. Um, I just really love the like point midway through after like the climax of the big orgy scene and then you have this like sort of mirror image like night day kind of thing where like he's retracing his steps and there's all this like cascading like outcomes from his experience the night before that he's just like so thrown by and I'm sure we'll get into it more but yeah it's just one of my one of my favorite films of all time yeah so as Stefan alluded to it's the first time I've seen this film and I I am aware of the film and I have seen a couple of things on it in the past but I've tried to stay um, sort of away <clears throat> away from having too much of a deep dive so that I could experience the film um, with fresh eyes um, I think my first impression would be that there is so much to unpack from that film um, I definitely took I, I think I you know I think I took away the themes and the and the concepts that it's trying to trying to put it across but some of the dialogue underpinning the and obviously this is between um, Nicole and Tom which is the central um, drama in the film their relationship and, and how each of them are acting out um, and uh, seeking other things in their life um, and those are really underpinned by two or three conversations sort of one at the start one in the middle and one at the end and I think um there'd be so much to unpack actually going back and looking at those things word for word but even even having only seen them the first time and only seen them in film um you it it all worked it all worked and i'm looking forward to talking about it further so what should we start off with first should we talk about um who was the protagonist um should we talk about um i think it was that red guy the guy in the red kit at the orgy I think he was the protagonist. Couldn't maintain order. Yeah, yeah. Sort of, he was yeah. the main shot caller. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Connor. <laughs> but no, is there anything? What's what's the first thing we want to? We can dive right into the dialogue issue if you want. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm pretty keen. To, uh, I mean, we should so, probably. Can we start with capitalism? Well, I mean, no. Honestly, there's so <laughs> Kubrick's films are so layered, like, yeah, and that yeah, Connor yeah. just alluded to that then in that you have the dynamic of Nicole and Tom's character going on throughout the film, and that almost gets lost in the main plot of the film and, and in Tom kind of, um, you know, he, he finds himself kind of chasing these thrills and then for the rest of the film is trying to find out what happened and it becomes almost a mystery. It's like an erotic thriller by the end of the film in that he's trying to work out what's going on. He knows he's being followed and that sort of thing. But it's so delayed and you've got so much going on. But to me, what makes that film so powerful and I guess so interesting from a pop culture perspective is that it's one of the only films, if not the only film, that portrays um, a cult worship by the most powerful people in society in black and white. Um, I mean, the opening scene of when he enters the orgy, you have um, obviously a sex ritual taking place. Um, the, the lead guy, they're all standing around and watching. Um, he's essentially taking them through a ritual and then when the ritual finishes, they all go off into their rooms, they all take their men and they start having sex with them. So I mean, obviously it's, it's the film, you know, portrays the exploitation of women, but not just the exploitation of adult women, but also underage women and pedophilia in, through the character of the shop owner. So what what's what what's the point of him in the movie? So well, I, think, right. I think we need to split. I think those are two separate things. I think there's a conversation about sex and a conversation about the um, the 
power of sex itself and the way it drives humans to do various things. Drives Nicole to, um, to fantasize about this man and potentially fantasize about ruining her life and, and then leaving her husband and her, and her daughter. It, it drives Tom to cheat, potentially try and cheat on his wife and do all these things that he wouldn't ordinarily do. And there's so many other things that we can unpack about the sexual element of it. But I think that is actually entirely separate to the occult power worship of it. Obviously, the sex is, is an element of that and it is predisposed. It could not exist without the sex element. But it is that is all about power. That is all about control. The way I saw it is that and it's it's that when you have Tom Cruise being unmasked in a room with a thousand incredibly influential people who no one knows their identity, but now they all know his. So they all have incredible power over him. They have him in this compromised position. So it's not even about which is another thing that the elite do all the time. It's, it's about it's honey potting. They've yeah. got him now on camera, presumably. They know who he is, he's been identified. And you know, I mean, that's, that's the main theory of what Epstein's Island was, was that it was a yeah. blackmail operation, yeah. a honeypotting exercise where powerful people would go there, put themselves in compromising positions and they would be recorded. Yeah, so it's then, not even about the fact that Bill Clinton is a pedophile. It's about the fact that Bill Clinton is, has power over him. He's compromised. He's compromised that's yeah. the concern. Obviously, of course, Bill Clinton being a pedophile is terrible, and, and I, yes. I wouldn't have anything about Bill no, Clinton. No, I agree with that now. But so they're Bill Clinton being controlled by someone like Epstein and the people who control Epstein. Yeah. That's the concern. So having, having been something into the pod, I suppose it would be a cult worship. Um, no, I, think it's, I think it's interesting because the, the dichotomy you raise, like, one of the best scenes in the film to me is the scene where um, Nicole Kidman's character describes her fantasy with the military person that she sees at the hotel. And you have this real powerful feminine energy being portrayed where she's essentially like almost, um, you know, castrating him symbolically. And, and you have that, you know, almost the, the classic um, scenario of, you know, men, well, they're more likely to cheat and they're more likely to do this and women are, tend to be less, to more, more powerless in relationships and perhaps more reliant on the man and that sort of thing. And she kind of takes that and throws it in his face and is like, it's natural for women to have these sexual urges, it's natural for women to have these sexual desires, and here's an example of one that like almost derailed this relationship and your whole trust in me. And I just think it's like such a fascinating scene, but then you have, that's kind of like a more organic, everyday relationship compromise, uh, sorry, compared with what you just stated, the complete power dynamic that's happening in the sexual environment that's happening at the Illuminati orgy. Yeah. See, I, I didn't like, like the read, the read I had on it was that like, I didn't disconnect the two different sorts of like relationships with like the power and sex. Like they're just like, and it, it the movie's an entire exploration of how those two interact. So there's obviously the orgy and the powerful people using sex, however they're using it. But then there's also just like Nicole Kidman's character saying that like, like sex had this power over me, it had this power over our relationship. And then that had these consequences and it just like, that, that that would have been the result of that sort of sexual outcome. So it's just like the entire effect of like sexual relationships and the effects of them on other people as well, like oh, regardless yeah. of how it is. And I thought that was reflected in, in every single element, like with the prostitute and the, and the child and, and not like all the way through. Yeah, it's an expose on literally sex from bottom to top. It's, it's, um, it's what is the power dynamic in paying for sex. It's what is the power dynamic in but it's not a very in having sex with your partner. What is the power dynamic in um, even, in being cuckolded? What is the power dynamic in all these things? Even from the very first scene, yeah, you're right. There's that whole power dynamic around sex. In the very first party with Nicole Kidman and the um, like old bloke, the Hungarian gentleman, the Hungarian. Where is he from? Hungarian. Hungarian. Okay. And um, two and then just like throwing themselves. Yeah, Tom Cruise and the. Um, other two trying to take him to the Rainbow Room, um, and then yeah, <laughs> basically every single scene thereafter, well, from there on, is uh, about sex and 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 I would say and how it's and how it's used as power. I, but so you're saying the two are distinct. 
No, no, I was saying the occult distinction of nature is not entirely about sex. (laughs) It's more about how. Oh, well, I think the two are inextricably linked. No, but Connor's right, because it's not about sex. Because if it's just about sex, presumably the people that are in that room with the mask on can have sex with whoever they want, whenever they want. Yes, I I think the power and sex are like linked, kind of. Yes, yeah, like the, they are. Yeah, there's like yeah, 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 yeah. Sense, but yeah. In that context, it's more like the the sex is the means to the end of power. Whereas the, I think what he was saying is the, the it's about doing like, the most sexually degrading thing and participating in the most sexually yeah, degrading to, thing that you could participate to in. exert your power. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Self, self, I mean, yeah. so um, this is quite a leading question, but I'll ask it to the group. Dan, you can chime in first. So, what do we think the significance of the scene? Um, so we, we don't find out till later that the, the, um, costume owner is prostituting his daughter, but earlier we know there's something fishing going on. What do we think about that scene's placement involving underage sex with the two Asian gentlemen being placed right before the climax of the film when he goes to the, um, this sex occult orgy? So that is why I asked question before. Is I don't know, and that's why. Like, what, so, what, what? Can I have this? Yeah, theories yeah, on, yeah, yeah, can I have this theories on what the what the costume owner's role is? And so yeah, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's poignant. I think it's poignant that the two Asian gentlemen um, are made up. They're made up in this um, sort of like Japanese, um, uh, almost like ones. a pantomime style, and obviously, you know, what is that? What does that um, correlate with? It correlates with the masks. And I think what the point there is, is that, or what I took as the point there is that, yes, this occult sex orgy is going on, you know, with the elite. But really, this sort of issue plays out throughout every layer of society. And that this is a, it's the same, yeah, it's the same thing. It's it's a, a man is... Uh, the, the costume owner is prostituting his daughter and these two men are participating in it. They're in the pantomime makeup. It's like a cheaper quality version of the same thing, but at the end of the day, it's the same issue where people are getting exploited, power is being explored, power is being exercised, people are... Um, so, did you yeah. guys think that, that he was prostituting the daughter in the first scene? Yeah, I think he was, yeah. I think he, he was... Yeah, definitely. Doing something. Something. I yeah. think it was an advert. I think it was an ad. I think it was an advertisement for... Bill, Tom Cruise, for the next time. Because right. he whispers in her ear. She, sorry, she whispers in his ear. See, my read was that going into it, he still had this ground, like he was going to this sex orgy thing, and like we're about to see like a heinous unfolding of things, but like he was still grounded in this notion that like there were some lines you don't cross, like the, with, with the, the dad being like, what the fuck are you doing? Like she's underage, I'm calling the cops, lock you in there. It's like at least. Wait, what do you mean, hey, are you talking about Kubrick or Tom no, Cruise? Well, like I'm talking about um, the dad. Tom Cruise could see that, were, like, his character was just like, okay, well, there's this, like, this line you don't cross in, in the sense of, like, the dad saying, I'm calling the police, you've done something wrong, like, this isn't okay, what the fuck, rah, 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 And he's like, right, so cool, like, we have this, like, understanding. And then, like, the next morning after he's seen all that, like, that's kind of flipped on its head, and that's, like, now... Are you saying it's, like, a perspective thing, whereas in, like, Tom Cruise's perspective, like, he's more innocent in the first scene, so he doesn't interpret it as being prostitution at the time, and then when he comes back, he realises that it is? Yeah, it's a bit of that, and I think that's, like, I also had this element, like, with the whole, the next day, it seems like the consequences for a lot of the things he engaged in, and a lot of things he saw, are just kind of, like, meaningless, like, he, like, he thought he saw, like, such heinous things, and everywhere he looks, just, like... Nothing really amount like comes oh, from totally, it. yeah. You know, so, so like I I didn't think that like there, it was a prostitution thing from the first scene, but like there was a shift between the two. So no, I, I agree with that at all. I I'm doing this. I think so right. I, I I take your point about the the role that the dad was serving the costume guy. That's interesting. And so is is he kind of particularly in? Is it sort of like slamming in Tom Cruise's face of like don't be a hypocrite, like you weren't too far from this, mate. And don't pretend like you're disgusted by it. Yeah, definitely. You were, you're a party to this sort of stuff. Yeah, I think but I also, th- I also think it's an insignificant distinction because he locks them in the room, right, and then has obviously accepted money for them to fuck her after that. Mm. So, yeah. 
I just I don't understand the distinction you're making. I'm saying, like, from the perspective of Tom Cruise's character, it's just like, right, so in, in this world that I'm currently living in, like, the the child sex is, like, the pedophilia isn't okay. This man, like, it's validating that belief. And he's going to, like, call the cops and arrest this man. But, like, when I see him the next day, something's changed. And, like, something's changed with him as well. Uh, okay, in that he's experienced this thing. He's been exposed to a darker world and now he's just, like, seeing more of it. Or it's, or it's more reflective in... But if he had made just a deal with these Asian guys to sleep with her and not with anyone else, there wouldn't be the scene where he offers her to Tom Cruise. Like it's clear that he's been prostituting his daughter and has continued to do so. He hasn't made a decision overnight to just prostitute his daughter yeah. to everyone. Agreed. It, like, it doesn't make sense with the plot. Yeah. I, I think it's that he had taken him to this costume room, there's all these pieces and shit going on, he realises what's going on in the room with the daughter and has to kind of put on a show of like, oh my god, like, you're staying here, you're going to the police, and they're saying, she invited us, she invited us, and like, obviously he knows that she invited them. Yeah. Like, if you just go back and watch the actual dialogue of the scene. But I think your, I think your but I, can, be as, can, can be right as well, is that, that that's what's actually happened narratively. Yeah. And it's like, that's what makes sense. From a narrative perspective, yeah, but you're right in the sense of the way that I think uh, Tom Cruise's can, perspective yeah, does shift. I think yeah, that's yeah. correct, but I just think yeah. narrative-wise, what you're saying does make sense. But I, <laughs> but see, you're saying oh, we well, spent too much time on this yeah. stuff. We'll move well, past it. So using a, a Kubrick uh, tool that he often used in the movie is like the well, maybe I'm just getting shy. But like, well, we'll see. But um, like the, <laughs> the guy behind the counter, and um, so there's the costume owner, and there's also the hotel. Um, yeah. Manager. Obviously, the costume owner, as we've just discovered, plays a very significant role. It, was there any more in the the hotel guy? I mean, clearly he was. I think presumably he, he was attracted to Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. I think, it, I think it just adds into the fact that it's like of the sexualization. Yeah, Tom, yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise. Everywhere Tom Cruise goes, people wants fucking. Yeah, Kubrick has a sexual interaction happening every single scene. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's what it is. Yeah. But nonetheless, okay, that's interesting. Do you know what? This is just a complete side note. But I'm not sure if anyone saw it because I've seen that movie three times now, and I actually never noticed this until that time watching it. When Tom Cruise is being escorted back to the room um, to have his mask pulled off and he walks past the bloke, the naked guy dancing. Yeah, 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 I just didn't notice that the whole three times I'd seen it, there was also gay sex happening. Yeah. Oh, I've yeah, never noticed that, that the whole time yeah. I watched it. I think I've been, because if you watch well, the there scene, were two guys the camera trails Tom Cruise, but then there's like two naked guys dancing and I was like, fuck, I never noticed that. Like, yeah. And also the ultimate price is blood, but we'll get to that. Yeah. I think so. One more, the other thing that I wanted to sort of touch on is um, obviously the film is called Eyes Wide Shut, and I think it's it, we have to That's talk about we have to talk about the the dream like aspects of it and how Kubrick builds that, and then what what we think it means for for the conclusion. So to talk about you know the ways that he builds it, obviously the. Um, the setting of it, Christmas, and using all those lights um, definitely adds a dreamlike element to a lot of the scenes. He uses these diffusion transitions where the scenes melt into one another, like in a dreamlike sense. Um, and it culminates in the end where you have um, his wife's infidelity occurring by a dream. She wasn't really unfaithful, but she was unfaithful in her dream. And, and when she describes how unfaithful she was and how she was mocking Tom Cruise's character for ever thinking that he could own her and she was getting fucked by everyone and all those things. And then Tom Cruise plays out the physical version of infidelity, although he doesn't actually end up sleeping with anyone, but he goes through those same sort of exploration physically. And then at the end, she's talking about, well, you know, was it? You know, was this all just a dream? Aspect. Do we have any thoughts on that? So, because at the the ending, in my view, Nicole Kidman effectively says, like, let's just call it a draw, and yet everything she's done is purely by a dream, and everything Tom Cruise has done, he's actually gone and done. Um, well, has he gone and done? But what well, if well, well, yeah, true. But then Tom Cruise. Well, also, Tom Cruise also makes the point of just like. The dreams aren't meaningless either. Like, yeah, well, there's, some, there's like some desires yeah. in, in forming those dreams as well. So, like, but yeah, so I suppose Tom Cruise doesn't actually have sex with anyone, does he? No, no, he gets to well, he does it forcibly get made out with. Yeah, and then and so he kisses the prostitute. Yeah, and so this is probably this is straying from your point, but just quickly, so the whole HIV kind of scare 
what's that to do? Is that to kind of make him realise how lucky he got or to kind of how dangerous playing in the second yeah, world is? It's just like how close he was to destruction at the Colts. Oh, yeah. Place. So you, you can't not find but every time. Also, in his, yeah, in his more normal sexual choices, <laughs> he's also dabbling yeah. in danger in that he was about to sleep with a prostitute who potentially could have been HIV positive. Yeah, I think it's a good, yeah. It's and he's about to sleep with the prostitute that led him into the house. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. The point about it is there's consequences. It, there's yeah. consequences for sexual actions. And he is... The concept, the discussion is a tension between the freedom of these people being like, oh, you know, the Hungarian and all these things you're saying, you know, like, what is sex? Like, marriage is just a block to, you know, like, you're only doing it because it's comfortable. Um, and, you know, it's, this, all, this whole concept of sex is... is is separate from love and all these issues um, is explored throughout the entire film and I suppose those points are just highlighting that even though sex is separate from love and separate from institutions like marriage it's not it doesn't have it doesn't it isn't without consequence so just by the fact that it's everyone can just be like oh I'm just going to stroke my ego and I'm, there's nothing emotional involved in sex it still has consequences I, can, I think that's what's trying to do. I completely agree with that point. I just found, like, it, like on that watch through, I just found, noticed that, like, for a lot of the things Tom Cruise does in his night of whatever happens, there's a, lot, there's a lot of things that don't have consequences for him. Like, at every step, he, like, nearly does something, doesn't end up happening, or, like, he interacts with someone that ultimately means nothing. And, like, so, like, he, he, he would have had HIV, but he just, like, didn't get it. Um, the like the woman whose father died just stays with the with the the boyfriend or husband fiance or whatever and like um, just at every point just seems like he engaged with something the night before that then just like the day the day after just doesn't really have a consequence and I think that adds to like the whole dream element of his experience and oh, just like nothing yeah, really that's like and he's like that, that, that's the confusion <laughs> and that's his like confusion and why he keeps going to all these different places trying to figure out what actually and he never even really kind of sees the consequence no like he and doesn't like, see her get HIV or be told about HIV he doesn't see the pianist get like and even with the woman who eventually ends up dying he's like right here's a yeah, controvertible evidence of what's going on it's like that's when you finally get the bloke who rocks up and actually gives him an explanation says yeah. here's a plausible explanation it's not our it's not responsible like it's not our fault like what happened last night is, has nothing to do with her death that's an independent thing there's no real consequences for her volunteering herself for you and it's like that again he's a little bit like well, what, so what, actually, what actually happened last night so we've talked about the plot a lot on Conscious of Time. Before we get to the conspiracy theories or the making of stuff, talk about like the cinematography and maybe just the production. Like the the Kubrick movies, the like lighting and framing are just so amazing. And like when he walks into, I mean, obviously there's the Christmas element which adds to it. But when he walks into the jazz club, and it's just like it must just be so hard to get those scenes right with the lighting, particularly with the technology back then, even though it's not that old. And this is also the longest shot movie ever. In terms so of how long it took to shoot. 400 days. Yeah, actually, I suppose that's film. the point, isn't it? Only Kubrick, with that much time, can get... Like, when he walks into the jazz club, like, there's the red backdrop of the stage, there's all the kind of fairy yeah, lights. There's the... And, but it doesn't jar you at all. Like, And it's just, like, everywhere you look, there's stuff happening, and it gives so much, like, life to the music. And, and Kubrick didn't... Like, that film's not filmed in New York. Yeah, it's sort of sad. It's, yeah, it's, fil in it's filmed in London... Yeah, and he has created yeah. that. Like he's literally built the set. Like it's it's, un it's, it's completely it, unreal. The one thing that was disappointing is that it wasn't. The one thing that sort of sometimes took you out of it was when you've got those scenes in the. You've got the. You've got the scenes in the apartments and you've got these backgrounds which are clearly fake like yeah. it's clearly a set and like yeah. through the windows so, yeah. through the windows the blue light the and blue stuff. light yeah, like you can see the reflection of the like yeah. it's clearly fake and it would have just been if he could have filmed in New York and you could have had real New York apartments and real settings it would have just taken it to another level but yeah but he wanted to create his own set from what I understand yeah. like he wanted to have full creative control of the set so there might have been other downsides with filming in New York 
that we wouldn't have got that fantasy world. Yeah. Um, but I agree that yeah, there's some of those blue lights. So all the streets sets as well. Yeah, it's all sets. Yeah, because oh, they wow. yeah. reflecting back. Yeah, they're all they sets. Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, Hubrix, the yeah, perfect example that you know, obviously you need talent and you need skill and vision and all that. But ultimately, to make masterpieces, you just need time. And you know, I just wonder what his time treats look like. Yeah, four hundred days. Imagine, what? Imagine Apparently, that. there's just like yeah, crews and Kidman at several times were just like, what the fuck, like what the fuck. Because apparently, um, I think Cruz had he signed on for another film. Uh-huh. Yeah, and it got delayed. He does like, a, and I so obviously he does like a, a trillion takes of. Yeah, I imagine so. So it's also a super long film, and there was twenty minutes cut out of it. How? Yeah, how I did twenty minutes from the sex scene, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did it do like, at the box office? Not well, but like. Yeah, I don't think particularly well, and it wasn't. So this this is one of the reasons why its initial reviews weren't great, were because it was sold as a erotic thriller that like you know house mums and stuff would want to go to, and it was real sexy and raunchy, and then it just wasn't that that kind of film at all. So I think that hurt its reviews as well as its box office. office. One hundred sixty-two of sixty-five. Yeah, Um, but but obviously it was a a big film still because of because of the leads in it. Well, do we want to talk about... And Kubrick had died by the time it had come out. Uh, so I think that, you know, this is Kubrick's last film. Do we want to talk about um, Tom Cruise? So I think Tom Cruise is great throughout the majority of the film. How short he is? But on every single short. Kidman towers over him a couple yeah. of scenes. The dude, but every year he talks to towers over him. <laughs> the child is like, yeah. Right. He talks to that... When he, when he first meets that prostitute on the street and walks into the apartment, she's like a head taller than him. <laughs> Like, you know, I made the joke about it being 5'7", but I think he's like 5'5". Five, five. I think he's like 5'5". Five, five, yeah. yeah. But how about, how about Tom down. Cruise in the first scene where he meets Nick Nightingale for the first time? Just being like the most Tom Cruise you've ever seen in his yeah, life. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. So, hey, buddy, how are you going? It goes to Top Gun. Yeah, it goes to like Top Gun, Tom and Cruise. And that, that whole like, hands down, like, shh, like, oh, God, I've seen the hands down. But like, you know, I still thought it was good. That, that scene is actually, it's good that you raise that scene, because that scene to me, especially on the rewatch, was that gay? So is it like he that's meets, like it's almost he meets, like he meets Nick Nightingale, the guy who dropped out of med school and now is playing piano, and he kind of had this smug aura about oh, him. Yeah. He says to Nicole, um, "Oh yeah, like he didn't finish or whatever." Like you know, and obviously yeah, he's playing piano. Yeah. And they have this scene where they meet and stuff. And I think you know throughout the film, there's a lot of scenes where Tom's handing over exuberant amount amounts of money for services like, oh, I'll pay $200 on top of that, or just put the mask on the bill, this is, this is, now. Or he's using his position to, to Yeah, he's flashing his man bad around, yeah. he's grabbing sexy girls' tips all day at work. I think he thinks, he's quite full of himself, he's quite confident, he sees himself as upper class. And then we do realise there's but the real, he goes upper class, to the real upper, class, the real upper class, and he realises, like he's literally spotted within five minutes of being there as not fitting in. The guy stares at him as soon as he walks in. He's got a taxi waiting out the front when everyone else is rocked out by limos. He realises, oh, I'm not whatever I thought there's, I was. There's two and with that smug aura I had earlier in the scene, I'm not sure that this was really valid. There's two classes of people. There's, there's a class of people like Tom Cruise who, when Biden raises tax rates to... 40 to you know 60 percent um, over 200,000 that they stay in the US and, and pay tax, and then there's the people who really need to pay tax who move to Ireland for tax purposes. That's the two classes of people, and Tom Cruise is definitely yeah. in the middle. Yeah, no, so, do you want to talk about? Um, so, obviously, let's get on to the no, 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 yeah, it's, it's, there's, there's obviously it's quite a confronting scene when he goes um, to the occult worship orgy. But what do you think about the, the climax of the scene where he's asked to be unmasked and then the woman sacrifices herself and then comes out later that um, she has been killed in a drug overdose? This is obviously, you know, nothing in Kubrick's films is by accident. Um, do we think Kubrick's alluding to how the, the upper class operates? And do we think that perhaps what's portrayed in the ending of that scene is indicative of how the film's popularity went. Sorry, repeat that last part. So, like, what I'm trying to say is, essentially, do we think the film suffered from what it portrayed? Do we think that the media... It's too close to home. Yeah, the media, like, well, uh, you know, there's the Epstein scandal, there's plenty of scandals that we can point to, (laughs) but, I mean, I don't think this film, when it was released, would have been well-received... 
by those in power, whether it be the CEO of a, a studio in Hollywood. I know that apparently, um, I can't remember the name of the studio now that this film was made through, but they were not happy with the film at all. And there's actually quite a bit of controversy that the take that was released was not the take that <laughs> Kubrick consented to prior to his death. Mm. So, and I mean, and this, this take still shows you know, the Illuminati killing a woman as a sacrifice for, for his actions. Um, so what did the original take have in? Shit, I don't know, but... Mm. So I did, I, I did um, you know, thinking about, okay, the practicalities of this, this worship scene in a cult, and where did they get these beautiful women from, and how do they get well, involved that was the in this? Yeah, well, so then I was like, oh, yeah, former beauty queen. So exactly, that's a perfect thing, like throughout history and society, these beauty pageants, which are just absurd, and of course Donald Trump had a large hand in running. Right. Um, no, no, well, I'm not going to bother with the Trump take, but I'm just saying those things are just absurd, and, and it is a way for the power, they create this ridiculous institution to get a hold of what they want, in this case, beauty. And so when the smoking ceremony, is that like cleansing these lower class women who are beautiful so therefore they're useful but they need to be cl- cleansed or brought no, into the upper just let me finish and they need to be brought into the upper class before or the powerful class the elite before they can then take part in this ritual is that what that might be how they sell it to the people who are participating but i think it's with the it's the just the ritualistic it's the ritual ritualization of something that could be ordinary, could be dirty and cheap, like paying for a prostitute. Uh, okay. By ritualizing it, you're yeah. elevating it. And yeah, you're, it's satanic. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're, you're making it... It's the blessing of these women that are about to be sacrificed. Yeah. Yeah, their bodies are about to be taken, their flesh is about to be taken. It's a satanic, it's a satanic worship ritual. My, and we've seen that before in the film club in uh, Rosemary's Baby. We have. So there's a lot of parallels actually between the occult representation. It could also be, yes, it could be satanically uh, genuine, or it could also be disingenuine, where... A show for the upper yeah, class. Yeah, a show for yeah. the upper class, of, you know, they're adding these elements, um, but, it, but it's, it's, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got all kinds of examples of that. You've got... Um, if you if you do some research on spirit cooking, which is like the events that celebrities go to where they have actual human bodies set out, um, sometimes covered in paint, sometimes covered in food. Um, there's photos of Lady Gaga, there's photos of Hugh Jackman attending these events, and they eat off the bodies, and it's all just a you know a big show of power and ritual. But I mean, at the end of the day, like there's something quite creepy about a lot of the activities that these people engage with whether it be mainstream or not. And I think watching this film in 2021 with what we know now about those in power, it just, yeah, it, it runs down your spine. It's very uncomfortable. So do we think, do we think Kubrick would have left it here or would his next film have been, uh, say, uh, The Bohemian Grove? So, or, so, yeah, this well, gets I don't think Kubrick I'm, had a choice. This gets what, to, uh, what gets to what I wanted to get to, so the Kubrick conspiracy, so they killed him afterwards? or I mean, yeah, there's not, there's not too much more sophisticated than that. The Kubrick conspiracy is that this film went too far. He had previously portrayed uncomfortable uh, sexual topics and whatnot on film, but this film inherently involved the Illuminati and the top. And he obviously would have had a lot of exposure to that with his experience in Hollywood and how big a director he was. And apparently his death was in you know, quite controversial circumstances. Uh, the brother says that he never signed off on the death certificate. Um, maybe he came the next morning. Maybe, yeah. Um, but yeah, essentially the, the Reddit conspiracy theory on this film is that they took Kubrick out after this film. Because he just that was enough. Yeah, they thought that was enough. You're, you're talking a bit too much. Yeah, okay. And so, yeah, what will they do next? Which, I mean, you know, this is obviously a thing that occurs. There's no doubt about that. But I mean, uh, would we ever see what happened on Epstein Island portrayed in the film? I would argue probably not. Just because who would have the balls to do that? And especially, you know, a prominent director with a lot of reach, like Kubrick would have had. It'd be like if Scorsese just announced, like, oh, next, next year we're doing a film on Epstein Island. Like, the lead, character, the lead character is Prince Andrew, and I'm just documenting, you know, it just wouldn't happen. So that, yeah, that's, that's the conspiracy theory of the film, essentially. Okay. How far are we? Do we check? 
Can we talk about um, Nicole Kidman's body? I don't want anyone to get in trouble, of course, but anyone got any thoughts? Maybe, yeah. Uh, See? It's quality. Yeah. Yeah, great scenes. Her performance um, was amazing. I think really when Kubrick got the tick of approval for like, you know, I'll be making the set in the movie, he was like, we're utilising that. Yeah, he's going to get it on a lot of things. As much as I can, actually. <laughs> yeah. so, what's the... She's basically never nominated. Yeah, yeah. the opening scene of the film, she's naked. It's like the first yeah. 70% of the, of the first 20, uh, 20 minutes of the movie, she's naked the entire time. Like that yeah. And even when she has clothes on, make sure like, it's see-through. And then yeah. she's like peppered it throughout, he's just like, I'm flashbacking, and she's just getting back. Yeah. What's the... the um? So, production timeline and their relationship, were they in a relationship that well before this movie, I think? Yeah, they probably they married for a few years. And so how does the couple go, like, do you make a decision yeah. together? Like, well, let's what, do this. That's what I was this, thinking in the this, scene where he's thinking about the sailor puppy. Like, the yeah, yeah. yeah. This yeah. film is theorised as being um, a huge factor in their the divorce. divorce. Why? Yeah. Because, of, because of the tensions of how long it was filmed for. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A- apparently, um... There was quite a bit of disagreement about how some of the scenes should be acted out, and I remember Mum telling me um, the first time I watched this that this was like apparently at the time like tabloid news that Eyes Wide Shut was like was a divorce. But like it's like you know with one of our um, partners like working on a big like going to a firm together and working on a big trial together or a big like transaction like she's fucking nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> like, just it would just end in constant fighting. Like, yeah. I just can't imagine. <laughs> so, Connor, has this, this been your first time watching it? Um, I'm not going to, like, put a gun to your head or anything, but just generally, where, where do you think this ranks in your Kubrick um, Hall of Fame pyramid? Like, I mean, is this, were, you as, were you as impressed as you thought you were going to be, or did it leave a bit lacking? Or No, I was, re- I was really impressed. Um, I, I was kind of expecting slightly more intense of the, the occult nature and a few things like that, um, but it was still excellent. I think the problem with Kubrick with me is that apart from The Shining, which I've probably seen four or five times, I haven't actually seen any of his other films more than once. So it'll actually be an interesting take to go back and watch Clockwork Orange again and watch 2001 again and see where they stand. But but that was excellent, and it's certainly up there in the top, you know, I think it's better than The Shining, and it's sort of, so it's up there in the top sort of three or four. Yeah, okay. So, at least for me. I'll give you a flip side. My pyramid doesn't have as many bricks as kind of like I all the Kubrick ones, but likewise, it was definitely good. wasn't kind of as good or for long as I was hoping for, so I'm sad and enjoy it. But then I kind it's of... It's almost like, like the hype of the film lets yeah. you down. So that's... Because it is just so, like, people are like, oh, what's up? And so I get Connor's point about, like, yeah, you're kind of thinking, I want more occult. But then it's like, well, you know, anything that's good leaves you wanting more. And maybe one super intense occult scene, and then, a, like, you have a bit of a build-up, a super intense occult scene, and then you have a chase. It's really all the movie is over a very long period, but still a fine period. Maybe that's fine and good. And So the whole point about... Like, this isn't a... I know it's based on a book, I think. But yeah, it's based this, on a book. But so this isn't yeah. a Da Vinci Code sort of thing. You don't get a deep conspiracy theories. It's just sort of, here's something happening. They're powerful people. Fill it out for yourself. Is that because Kubrick's trying to sort of... And that's kind of the ultimate thing. He hasn't made up some fictitious involvement. Yeah, and I also think he can't, he can't say too much. Yeah. He has to kind of present what he can present. And I think that's kind of the point of the occult scene. It's just like, the whole film can't be about occult worship. Yeah. He has, you know, you see a ritual, you see what happens afterwards. You know, everything Kubrick does is very deliberate, um, which I think even the timing of the scenes that I alluded to with the with the shop owner and his daughter being right before um, the climax of the film. I don't think anything's by accident. And I think, you know, it's so layered that it's it's a film that's worth unpacking over multiple views, um, which, is, which, you know, as kind of said, that's why I'm excited to watch particularly Space Odyssey again, because I've only seen that once, I think. And I, I feel, I remember when that film ended, just feeling like there was a lot that I missed in terms of how late it was. And this film's a bit like that too, um, from the perspective of Tom and Nicole's narrative yeah. with everything else going on. As I said, I'd love to break, I'd love to actually get the script and break down their three conversations, because there's so much. There's so much in there, yeah, definitely. About sex and the and sex and marriage and relationships as well. It's it's. Did Kubrick, did Kubrick write this? Oh yeah, I was yeah, wrote with someone else. With someone else, yeah. Okay, partial. Yeah, um, it almost seemed to me that the um that the relationship between Tom Cruise and Nicole Kidman, that whole like three scenes you were, you were talking about, 
it's kind of like I don't know if it's explicitly making this point, but it's making like something adjacent to it that like the infidelity helps like reaffirm their fidelity. Yeah. In that like they didn't actually cross a line which they can't come back from, mm. but they are dabbling with the infidelity and the nature of that and what it would mean to both of them and because of that at the end of it she comes back and says i think yeah now we can do this for a long time he says forever and she's like well maybe not forever but like i think i think it's, it's a realization that sex is um a part of everyone and um everyone has you know these sort of it, it's a very primal force that everyone has to deal with all their lives um but something like marriage and love is um, potentially more powerful and longer. Yeah. Um, just back on the occult point, I don't think, like, I think, like, the point of what Kubrick was getting at is that, like, Tom Cruise's character is an outsider. Like, he's not a part of that thing. So I think that's kind of, like, goes to why there's only like the single occult thing it has such weights because he yeah like oh, the, the class thing yeah true he's upper class right. but he's not that truly upper class so he just like he gets a glimpse of it and in that way the audience can align with him and say like yeah look we know there's like something weird going on but we don't know the details we don't know the specifics and now it's like which is a reflection of reality yeah and that's what, that's what yeah. I'm saying like that way the audience can be like yeah you're right there are these powerful because he's like, being followed things. after that we have no idea stuff. and the, yeah he's got no idea what's going yeah. on he's trying to piece it together he's getting bits and pieces here and there and that final scene when he goes and uh, sees the guy from the start and they have the whiskey and the chat and it's very you know even in that scene he leaves that scene with no answers whatsoever yeah. pretty much everything he's yeah so I stood up at the very end of that scene was there was there any pertinent crescendo to that scene because like not really the very last second of it it's it, yeah it's it's him telling tom what tom's already been suspicious of yeah, yeah. and his final kind of word of advice is like give it a rest go. stop yeah. fucking around you don't know what you're dealing with um which i think you know if if, if anyone was in the same situation they would they would be very similar you know they would be investigating like a normal person would and trying to piece together what happened and make sure their friend was okay. And then when you finally hit that brick wall of realising this is an uphill battle, I'm never going to win and there's too much going on, um, he kind of you know goes home and has the breakdown and cries and says, I'll tell you everything because he's realised that you know the, the, uh, the quest for information is a fruitless task. Do you want to move on to... Ratings and final thoughts? Yeah. Sure. Danny? Yeah, so it's hard with this one because it's coming with a lot of expectation and a big reputation and then also the, um, the, the subject matter is so... Um, kind <laughs> Confronting of, for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> factual. Yeah. They did smoke weed, didn't they? So, yeah, well... It was um, powerful people exploiting others and... and, and but all, all, yeah, all well, powerful well, people are so good. Wealthy people exploiting people. Who thought... Um, so it's got a lot to live up to, um, but as with all Kubrick films, or most of them anyway, and the ones I've seen, they're really well made, and even if you kind of didn't like the plot, you'd still have to give it a rating. But uh, the plot was interesting, and it was good, so I'll, I'll give it an eight. Um, um, that was a yeah, so I just, I just want people to want to know that um, Dan preferred Blue Ruin. To That's what I was going to say. So <laughs> I think it's quite interesting that Dan, Dan's, you know... You just said, Dan, that this film almost had maybe too much of its too much weight of expectation coming into it, and you're given this an eight, whereas you're given Blue Ruin, I think you gave it a nine. Nine, yeah, that's because you're coming into it with no expectation. So I I I identified the potential erroneous correlation. I made clear that this is a risk, and I've factored this into my thinking, and I've said, yeah, I, I I might have given this like. A 6.5 or a 7 because I had big excitations, but no, come on, think of that into my factoring. And then also Blue Ruin, I might have been tempted to give it a 10 because I didn't have any, but no, factor that into my thinking. So okay. I didn't just fall for the obvious trap like okay. you might think. And so that's right, with this sort of subject matter, and I'll, I'll be honest, I think, this is, I think this is easy subject matter to make a good movie out of. So obviously it's hard to make good movies, but I think this is, this is like full-on subject matter. Oh, this is by definition, by nature, Dan's interesting. Like drugs, sex, exploitation, it's all this, is, this is interesting all subject matter. 
completely fictitious, but nonetheless, it's very interesting. Fictitious. So, him. <laughs> it's very what, interesting. Sorry, what's fictitious it's, about it? <laughs> oh, you're just trying to get your eye up. Well, yeah. <laughs> um, it's very interesting subject matter, so it's it's easy to kind of hit this one, or well, not hit this one out of the park, but it's easy to make a good movie out of it. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, look, I think... Yeah. I think the was in. I yeah. think the lack of response speaks for itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Dan. Um, yeah, I think, I think actually I echo Dan's sentence in the sense that I had very high expectations for this. However, I recognise... Just, just, just like I did. I pointed out. Just like I did. And I think despite the, despite the fact that I thought potentially this could have been a 10 or this could have been outstanding... It was still brilliant, and I think the yeah the exploration of sex, the exploration of power, um, the relationship between Tom and Cole, the Midsummer Night's Dream element of it all. It was um, it was an excellent film, done very well. Very hard topic to do right, uh, as opposed to dance dance point. Um, it's not a slasher, a sort of you know crime thing. You know, <laughs> oh, yeah. um, it's a, it's a, yeah, literally nothing is easier to do than a redemption story. Yeah. <laughs> As shown by your criticism of the Nightingale. True. So I'm going to give it a. Uh, I'm going to give it a nine point. No, I'm going to give it a nine. I'm going to give it a flat nine. Are we giving um, film ratings and then documentary ratings at the end, or like what I thought of it as a documentary? <laughs> well, yeah. Look, yeah. 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 I, think, I think those sorts of topics should be left to a documentary. Yeah, right, okay. Um, just like kids. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I... I um, oh, yeah, sorry. No, you yeah. yeah. No, well, we went like this, whatever. <laughs> no, go. No, Wait, go, go yeah, no, I've, got to say. Yeah, I've got nothing to say. Um, just, yeah, my, just my rating, mate. So, yeah, I've, I've seen this movie, I think, like three or four times. I think that was my fourth or... Yeah, fourth, I think. And um, every single time I watch it, I notice something new, I pick up something new, and like, I, I feel like I'm going to continue watching this for years to come. Um, just the atmosphere that Kubrick creates throughout the movie, like the, obviously the piano thing that we started with, it's like a big key element to that, but like at every stop, the atmosphere just kind of builds and builds and builds until it's crescendo in the middle. Um, yeah, I think, I think it's just like an incredible movie, and for me it's a 9.5. I think sex and power is probably the most difficult thing to explore well and portray on film. Um, I think that the way it's done in this film is immaculate. I think it leaves a lot more questions than answers, like a lot of Kubrick's work. I think it's one of the most intellectually stimulating films that he has made. And um, I think, you know, contrasted with a more straightforward narrative film where good guy do good thing, bad guy do bad thing, like Blue Ruin... I think um, it's a 9.5 from me, and I think um, it's a great start to the cubic round. What's next? Next we'll be having... Me. Stefan Polak with... Uh, Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. Cool. Which is another one that I expect Dan to understand fully. 